Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our Lenten sermon series, Easter in the First Person. How did the events of Holy Week and Easter look like to those who were there? Today we hear the story of Nicodemus, a Pharisee who sought out Jesus. Join us now for the message, Nick at Night. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. We're so happy that you have come to worship with us this morning and welcome to all of you who are worshiping with us over Facebook Live. Ask yourself for a moment, what would it be like to have to take a body down from the cross? And what would it be like then to lose all hope? We'll be talking about that later on in our messages during the service. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 3 beginning in the first verse. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you will hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. I have never before in my life been in need of this much need of a Sabbath rest. The events of the last 48 hours seem almost unreal And I woke up this morning thinking to myself, did this really happen? Did the Caiaphas faction finally succeed in getting Jesus of Nazareth crucified? Well, my name is Nicodemus, and I live here in Jerusalem. I'm a merchant by trade, but my true identity lies in being a Pharisee. Now, there are many misconceptions about Pharisees, so I'm going to try to clear some of those up. So exactly what is a Pharisee? 
Well, we're a loose affiliation of Jews living in Galilee and Judea, and we're united by a profound love for Torah and for the law. We yearn to be completely faithful to God's law, and we're motivated by our deep love for the God of Israel. And so we educate ourselves in all aspects of the law, both the written law found in the Torah, but also the body of oral law that has been handed down from our forebears. We meet often to discuss and to debate the finer points of the law so our lives then can more fully reflect the will of God. We then in turn teach others how to live righteous lives pleasing to God. We spend much of our time teaching in the synagogues and teaching the people, and many of us even take up the commitment of mentoring disciples. And while we may make a living by a variety of trades, some of us, a few of us, are fortunate enough to receive an apprentice by which we can make the interpretation of the law our life's work. And these Pharisees are called scribes. And since they spend all their days studying the law, they are considered to be the most fluent in the Jewish law. Being a Pharisee is a labor of love, and we take our responsibility very seriously. You see, when we read the words of the great Hebrew prophets of old, we learn that the reason that the nation of Israel was destroyed was because we failed to keep the covenant that our ancestors made with the Lord God on the Mount Sinai. We continually broke the law. We failed to trust in the Lord's providence. And worst of all, we worshiped other gods. So first, the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians and Later then, the southern kingdom of Judea fell to the Babylonians. And even now, Jews are scattered throughout the known world. And even here in this promised land of our ancestors, we have to live under the boot heel of Rome. If we ever want to throw off our Roman oppressors, if we ever want the Messiah to come and restore our hope, if we ever want to make Israel great again, then it is imperative that we live as a righteous and a holy nation. We must not make the mistakes of the past. God will only send the Messiah, the anointed one, and inaugurate the kingdom of God if we keep the covenant. And this means keeping the law. Pharisees are the guardians of the law. And because we Pharisees are so seeped in the law, we take it as part of our duty to make sure that the people are not led astray by false teachers, false teachers who have not had the education that we have had. Now, it's not unusual for one of these false teachers to rise up and gain maybe a little bit of a following. Then we take it upon ourselves to publicly confront this imposter. And we usually find that a few well-aimed questions will end up revealing this person's ignorance and any lack of real understanding of the law. And so once the people see this false teacher for who he is, then they end up abandoning the false teachings and they return to the wholesome traditional teachings that the Pharisees have handed down from generation to generation. But every once in a while, one of these itinerant preachers is not so easily shot down. It was two years ago that I first heard of Jesus of Nazareth, and it was during the 
the Passover celebration there in Jerusalem. And I was talking to one of my fellow Pharisees who was from the Galilee. And he told me of a new teacher who had seemed to come out of nowhere and was amassing quite a following. His name was Jesus. He was originally from the village of Nazareth and now he lived in the village of Capernaum, which was right there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he had already attracted an inner circle of 12 disciples he was mentoring, as well as dozens of other followers. And he had even succeeded into convincing some of the wealthier women in the area to subsidize his ministry. And I must say that was quite an accomplishment. This Jesus had also managed to stir up quite a bit of controversy among the scribes and Pharisees of Galilee. Some of the Pharisees had gone to confront Jesus and they tried to trip him up with questions as we normally would. But instead of crumbling, Jesus gave ingenious answers which then in turn tripped up the Pharisees. The Galilean Pharisees began to fight among themselves over how to handle this Jesus. Now, some of the Pharisees were fascinated by what he had to say, but there were others who were deeply offended by him. And those that were offended the most were those who had the most strict interpretation of the Jewish law, particularly the laws about Sabbath observance. Jesus gained a reputation as a healer, but in many of the stories that I heard, it seemed he had a penchant for doing these healings on the Sabbath. And this made those more strict Pharisees apoplectic with rage. They also criticized how lax he was with his own disciples. He let them, for example, pluck grain on the Sabbath, and he never had them fast as the Pharisees often had their own disciples do. And as his inner circle of disciples, he had even taken on a tax collector and a zealot and word was that this Jesus loved a good party. Well, many of the Pharisees grew very curious about Jesus, so they began to invite him to dinners. And at these dinners, Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees would discuss and debate for hours. And they were amazed at his answers. As one of my colleagues says, he doesn't have any kind of special education. I don't know where this guy gets this stuff. I knew I had to meet this Jesus. So one evening during the Passover, after it had grown dark, I went to see him. And when I found him, he was sitting by a window illuminated by the light of the full moon. And I decided that I would get more out of this if I approached him with respect. So I started off with these words, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these things that you do apart from the presence of God. Well, he got right down to it. There was no small talk with this guy. The next thing he said to me was, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Well, I sat there dumbfounded for a moment by what he said. I didn't even begin to know what he meant. So I asked, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Well, he just really, he went on from there and said, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being of, born of water and wind. 
What is born of flesh and flesh and what is born of the wind is wind. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the wind. I was perplexed by these words, but as he said them, I felt the hairs on the back of my neck stand up and I realized that a breeze had come through the window. He continued to talk and to say many things, but one thing he said really stood out to me. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I thought about the words Jesus said for months afterward, and it took some time, but I realized later that at the time as I was listening to him that I had completely misunderstood him. After I thought about it for a while, I realized he was making a play on words, even though I did not realize this at the time. You see, in our language, the same word means both wind and spirit. So when I heard him talking about the wind, he was really talking about the spirit. And likewise, in our language, the same words that mean born again can also mean born from above. I thought at the time that he was talking about physical rebirth, that somehow we had to re-enter our mother's womb and be physically reborn again. But what he was really saying was that we must be born from above. That is, we must be born spiritually. For us to be fully human, we must be born through the water of physical birth and also born spiritually through the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we must be born of both water and the Spirit. Now, his words about how God loves the world and has sent his beloved Son in order to save the world, those words stayed with me as well, even though I didn't know exactly who this Son was supposed to be. But what I did understand was that it is God that will save the world and not we ourselves. Jesus continued to come back to Jerusalem for the Jewish festivals, and he continued to grow more and more controversial. So not only had he now upset the Pharisees of Galilee, he was now upsetting the Pharisees of Jerusalem. And even more dangerously, he was upsetting many of the very wealthy Sadducees and the elite priests, including Caiaphas, the high priest. I'm fortunate enough to sit on the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, with many of these Sadducees and with these elite priests. And when they've talked about him, I've tried to defend Jesus, but there's just so many of them that are offended by him. And I told my friend Joseph of Arimathea, who's also a Pharisee who sits on the Sanhedrin, I told him about Jesus. And so he too went to go meet Jesus and to hear what he had to say. And Joseph too found him fascinating. But Jesus was making some very dangerous and very powerful enemies. Some were threatened by Jesus' interpretation of the Torah. They felt that if we weren't careful to follow the law correctly, then God might never send the Messiah and might never drive out the Romans. Others were prejudiced by anything that came out of Galilee. They always thought anything from Jerusalem was better. 
And I suspect some of them were just simply jealous of his fame. But I think the greatest source of fear was that through Jesus' influence, this delicate balance of power between the Sanhedrin and the Romans would be somehow disturbed. Some had learned how to live with the Romans and even how to take advantage of the situation. And as a result, they had become very wealthy and powerful. So certainly they did not want this balance of power to be disturbed. But there was also a deeper reason to fear a disturbance. If the Romans felt threatened, if the Romans thought that someone was becoming too powerful or too influential, they would not hesitate to cut him down. And all this talk about a Jewish Messiah, about a Jewish king, frightened and threatened the Romans. The Jewish elites, especially the faction of the high priest Caiaphas, knew that any perceived rebellion would bring the Roman soldiers down into the temple with their swords swinging. Hundreds or even thousands of Jews could be slaughtered. So in their minds, they had no choice but to have Jesus arrested and to try to have him executed. Last Thursday evening, Jesus was arrested and he was brought before us in the Sanhedrin. And I have never heard in my life such heated rhetoric before the Sanhedrin as I heard that evening. And again, I and my friend Joseph of Arimathea and a few others tried to defend Jesus and get the council to think more rationally. But when people are terrified, rationality can be very hard to come by. The next morning, Friday morning, the Sanhedrin sent Jesus over to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And there he was scourged and he was condemned to death by crucifixion. At the news of this, Joseph and I wept and we tore our clothing. How could there be such a miscarriage of justice? Later that day, Joseph did something very bold. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. You see, usually almost all victims of crucifixion just have their bodies thrown into a common pit where animals and scavengers might come and just tear their corpses apart. But occasionally, if someone is powerful and well-connected, they may be able to ask for and receive the body of someone who had been crucified. And for Joseph of Arimathea, being a member of the Sanhedrin, allowed him to make this request. By the time the body was released, it was late in the afternoon, and we, we needed to hurry if we were going to retrieve the body and put it in the tomb before the Sabbath began. And Joseph had decided to just go ahead and put Jesus in his own unused tomb. It was there nearby the place of crucifixion. And I went to help him get Jesus' body down from the cross. I have to tell you, that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. The trauma that is done upon the body of the crucified is horrific. There is so much blood, it's caked everywhere, as well as every other type of bodily fluid you can imagine. The smell is nauseating. The body itself is limp and heavy. The scourging that was received prior to the crucifixion, as well as the friction of the cross upon the back, leaves the tissue so raw that some of it gets stuck and remains there on the cross when you pull the body away. And then to have to 
try and remove seven inch spike nails from human bone and flesh is just indescribable. After we got him down, Joseph and his servants carried the body to the tomb while I hurried to go buy some myrrh and aloes for the burial. I ended up buying a hundred pounds of myrrh. I knew that was much more than we needed, but Jesus had died being accused of being a king, so I thought maybe at least we would bury him like a king. We washed his body, which I must say took a while, and then we wrapped it in a linen cloth we used some of what I had bought to anoint the body, but time was running out before the Sabbath would begin. The women would have to come Sunday morning and finish the job. We rolled the stone over the entrance of the tomb, and then we hurried back to our own houses. And this all happened yesterday. Last night, I tossed and turned and fell until I fell into a very restless sleep. Today is Saturday, the Sabbath. As I said, I've never felt more in need of a Sabbath rest than I do today. I feel this weariness deep in my bones so that I can hardly move. I've lost all my appetite even though my family is forcing me to eat. Nothing that has happened makes any sense to me. Jesus spoke of spiritual rebirth, but now he's dead. What rebirth can happen now? Jesus said that God so loves the world that God will save us, but at this point, I don't see how. What power does love have in a world that is so filled with reckless hate? How can God raise up faith when our dreams are dashed in death? How does God raise up any hope out of a sealed tomb of stone? I don't know where we go from here. I can't see any future before us, and I fear that the only thing waiting for us tomorrow morning is just another cold, gray, dusty day. God help us all. Amen. And so let us now, with the confidence that we have as the children of God, pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Remember, you can always find recordings of our service uh, on our Facebook page, on our website, tumcd.org, and on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. And so your action items for this week, continue to pray for Trinity, but then also look for signs of hope that God is still in control in this world. And now receive this benediction. May the love of God sustain you, May the light of Christ illumine your way, and may the wind of the Spirit carry you along. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11. Next Sunday, we continue our sermon series, Easter in the First Person. 
How did the events of Holy Week and Easter look like to those who were there? Come hear the whole story. You'll find recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember that we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.